Welcome to the latest FT Advisor in Focus podcast. My name is Simone Kuriaku and I'm Senior Editor of FT Advisor. We have often heard people say, my property is my pension. Now, for most people, that might mean they're hoping for a big capital gain on their house so they can retire with a nice lump sum. Whatever you think of that, that's certainly been an option for many people, or certainly it's been their plan, their retirement provision. For other people, they've really sought out property funds, particularly because of the income. Um, It has technically, uh, typically provided much higher income streams than bonds, certainly than gilts, and most certainly uh, from cash. So whether you're talking about residential bricks and mortar, or you're looking at property funds, long-term real estate investment trusts, or uh, it, it's certainly been the case that uh, people have been looking to use property as part of their long-term retirement income plan. But it's also true, they seem to have had a tough time lately. Property funds have hardly been out of the news the past few years, as the suspensions after the Brexit vote in 2016 and then the suspensions caused by uh, COVID-19 uncertainty last year left many people with a bitter taste in their mouth when it came to daily dealing property um, unit trusts. And then the so-called income diversification they'd hoped for didn't really seem so good after all. And add to this, more uncertainty lately caused by Aviva pulling its property fund out of the market. It's not surprising that investors might feel property unit trusts are not the way to go. Residential, however, that is bricks and mortar, seems to have had a much better ride until recently. We've seen that the so-called weekend landlords have been squeezed out by catalogue of tax changes and successive budgets, making it much harder for any but the most professional buy-to-let investor to make money from bricks and mortar. Add to this latest data from HM Revenue and Customs suggesting residential property transactions have been falling and one might consider the polish has been taken off the brass knockers on resi. So what is left for investors if they want to use property? Is equity release the only viable option? What about liquid property investments such as real estate investment trusts? Can these provide the income and the diversification that people need in retirement? Well, here to discuss all these various ideas are experts across the field of investment, pensions and equity release. So please welcome James Burns, co-head of Smith & Williamson's Managed Portfolio Service, Martin Stewart, co-founder of The Money Group, Darius McDermott, founder of Fund Calibre, and Andrew Tully, technical director at Canada Life. So a motley crew indeed, but one with immense expertise. Hello, everyone. Nice to meet you. Hello. Good morning. Darius, could we please start with you and look at what has been happening with property investment funds? You know, have they lost their luster given the suspensions and the announcement now that Aviva's closing its fund? Yeah, morning, Simony. I think they probably have, if I'm honest. Um, I have stood up for open-ended property funds in in the past, but I think they, they, they are fighting an uphill battle and there is still the review with the FCA as to where their future lies. I think if they are moved to quarterly dealing or something like that to help with the liquidity offset, I think then that gets much more difficult from a user perspective um, with platforms. So I think that there, there is now a substantial challenge. That said, I still think there are some good managers in that space who have delivered good returns, both on equity and capital from investing in commercial property. But 
I think whichever way we look at this outside, maybe of the REITs market, as an asset, property is a liquid. You can't just decide to sell it tomorrow and get your cash back, whether you do buy to let or any other way of accessing it. So I do think they are now facing an uphill uh, challenge, as much with the regulator as the buying public. Aviva coming out of the market was slightly ironic, given under the Norwich Union brand, they were the very first property fund to launch well, some 30 years ago now, probably. So... Yeah, I think they are facing an uphill battle. Absolutely. And James, if I can come to you, people look at managed portfolio services and they like to put their pension fund, they accumulate in them, and then they like to keep them in retirement so that they can accumulate and draw down. Obviously, diversification is the key here, but how is property being used at the moment? How are you using property if people are worried about perhaps a lack of income or perhaps a lack of liquidity? I mean, we've pretty much always advocated that property for our client portfolios should be in the closed-ended fund format, whether it's a closed-end fund or a, or a REIT. Um, there obviously are some clients where they have to go through an open-ended property fund, but you know, we if you have the choice, we'd always say go through the closed-ended route. In terms of our, our MPS and diversification, they're obviously these are multi-asset portfolios, you know, geographically diverse. So the property is just one smallish element of that but again it does add to that um, diversification and i think what's interesting for us is that we've got a you know a, we've had a core holding in there for a number of years which gives us broad exposure to the uk commercial property market but it's actually been quite nimble when it's been able to move away from the sector's worst hit particularly retail and it's been you know quite heavily allocated towards the industrial space and I think without you know preempting too much now that what we have seen in the closed-ended REIT space in the last 10 years has to be in this search for yield from, for, from investors. And the the choice you have in the REIT space now is far greater than it ever was. And it's not just a, a plethora of generalist vehicles, it's become much more um, sector specific. You know, for example, you know, healthcare, you know, GP surgeries student property, warehouses. So you're giving investors much more of a choice uh, to pick in good areas where there is capital growth and attractive income. Certainly income has been, that search for income, the hunt for income is is sort of every retiree's sort of holy grail. Everyone wants to make sure that they've got enough money coming in after retirement. Martin and and Andrew, can I sort of bring you in here? How important is it for people to get a, a diversified sort of income in retirement? And why are people looking at all the options available and not just looking at, you know, the, their workplace pension or looking at their, their house anymore? I'll bring in Andrew and then I'll, I'll, then I'll come to Martin if that's okay. So I think the starting point is the kind of traditional retirement journey has changed over the years. So, so it used to be, you know, people might have paid off their mortgage in their 50s, get a, a defined benefit income, and, and that's no longer the case now. So so, so people, more and more people are going into drawdown with, with a, a DC pot in retirement and, and trying to get a sustainable income throughout uh, an unknown lifespan. They don't know how long they're going to live. Uh, and generally, what, what we've seen across the market, across m- most uh, investments, is, is lower returns. So, so we're living in, a, in a, a lower return world, lower inflation world. Uh, and so diversification is, is important to try and, uh, to try and get that sustainability of, of income through retirement. 
Uh, and, and property can be a valuable part of that, but but I guess it, it's not it's not all of it. It's it's part of our overall strategy. Hmm. Martin, what what are you guys seeing for, from clients? How are they sort of reacting? Are they purely bricks and mortar, or are they still considering um, property or diversification within their investment portfolios? Yeah, it's a it, it's a really interesting point. This and and where maybe we I can come at this uh, slightly differently is that. Or maybe not. I don't have the technical experience that some of these guys have, but we're certainly at the forefront of of culture in terms of what the consumer is doing, uh, and we are seeing a bit of a sea change now in terms of what what people's attitude towards debt, cash, and returns are. Um, uh, and I think it's a much broader conversation that's um, that's going to get very interesting as we as we come out of out, out of the lockdown and we see what the repercussions of, of COVID are. Uh, what we're seeing at the coalface is quite interesting in as much that older people are having to look for more return as they retire because most of them are going into retirement now carrying some debt which is something that they probably haven't done in previous generations. Um, it's not unusual to, to meet 65, 70-year-olds still with a mortgage in play. On, on the younger scale, uh, buy-to-let is still very much uh, at the forefront of people's minds. Maybe not so much in the southeast where the yields are a little bit tricky, but certainly that the northern powerhouse are, are, are winning that battle at the moment. But then again, the problem you've also got is, is cash and property sexy when you've got cryptocurrency, which is all everyone is talking about now on TikTok and it's all over social media. Um, so at the younger end of the scale, Property is looking a little bit restrictive, a bit boring compared to maybe other things that might be out there. Mm. That's an interesting point. I'm going to bring Darius um, back in. Um, Darius, when you've got people being lured by sort of get rich quick schemes um, or allegedly get rich quick schemes or get poor quick schemes, such as a Bitcoin or a dodgy coin or whatever you want to call it. Um, you've got also this, this this need for sort of a long term capital gain and long-term income preservation. And, and traditionally, we have seen um, property funds, property unit trusts, and um, closed-ended property funds providing both of those things. So how do you kind of go about sort of explaining to investors, actually, perhaps it's better to get rich slowly using yeah. income and capital gains in your portfolio as part of a long-term pension portfolio when um, particularly as you know as, as Martin said the, young, the younger kids just want to um, make some money from some bloke they saw on TikTok so look there's two parts of that question the one is crypto um, I'm quite happy to wrap that up in it's not an investment it's a punt it's a speculation good luck and I mean that to anybody with the skill set and the ability to do it I have some people in my office uh, who, who bought bits and pieces of it and Sometimes they win, sometimes they don't. I don't genuinely think it's a mainstream investment asset class today. I think it's impossible to put value on it. It has some investment characteristics. You know, the more people that pile into it, the more it goes up. And we know what the opposite to that is. When everybody leaves, it will crash. But so it's not, in my mind, as we sit here in uh, 2021, a mainstream investable asset class today for multi-asset or, or, or any other type of portfolio. I think maybe to uh, James's point uh, earlier, property is an asset for long-term savings, whether you do it by a buy-to-let, where you hope to get some capital gain, and probably over the longer term, you are confident getting long-term capital gain, 
but meanwhile you need to make an income after costs and tax to, to make that to make that work um there is a wide range now of specialist investment companies again james touched on a few of them student gps but there are also supermarkets boring things like supermarkets which have done very well in the pandemic yielding around five percent where the net asset value ticks up one p per year or something so they're not big on capital gain but there are huge amounts of, of income plays from care homes to social housing residential all in the listed investment trust space in london so there's a broad choice there when you look back however at what was an an open-ended fund the fund manager traditionally moved under or overweight versus the three main sectors which were office clearly structurally challenged after covid retail clearly structurally challenged for the last decade or more and industrial and you know industrial is the growing part you now have all these big warehouses and again if you want just to buy that exposure you can do that on the london market so I think open-ended property funds have had their challenges, but they've moved into areas like uh, leisure, gyms, uh, nurseries, um, garden centres. So it's a very diverse asset class, but only, to my mind, a small part of a diversified portfolio for capital or income, depending on which stage you are in your accumulation or deaccumulation journey. James, would you agree with that? Would you agree it's just basically a, a small part of the diversification now? I mean, how, how do you go about using things like REITs within your, your portfolios? Yeah, it is a diversification for us. Um, I think this is following on what Darius said there. What's interesting is that lots of these specialist uh, REITs actually have got quite attractive sort of RPI linkage to their, their income stream. So actually, it, it, it's a great one for a um, a, a pension pot or a savings vehicle is that that income is going to, you know, hopefully stay ahead of inflation over time, which is you know almost as valuable as the actual capital gain bit to it. And I think you know, the one thing that you know, I'm a massive um, fan of the sector, but investors that aren't, you know, okay with it have to remember that these are listed vehicles and the, there's no silver bullet in investment because there's always a downside to something, and the 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 strength of these are that they're listed. You can trade in them every single minute of the day. The downside is exactly the same thing. And therefore, you will have fluctuations in the price compared to the asset value, i.e. a premium or a discount. And so you can have discounts appearing, which can be frustrating. But longer term investors in these interesting sectors will be, will be rewarded, particularly last year showed that it didn't matter how good the long-term story was, some of these prices, there were some big price dislocations, but you could invest them or get out of them every minute of the day last year, which is good. So, so Andrew, say that I am on the cusp of retirement. I've spoken to Darius, I've spoken to James, I've got a really nice managed portfolio in place. Um, I'm, it's really nicely diversified. I've got property in there. I'm hoping to get an income. Suddenly I'm facing like a big market shock, another COVID, another pandemic, goodness forbid. Um, market values tumble significantly. I don't want to start going into drawdown immediately because of sequencing risk. What do I do to get an income? Can, can I start using my my home, assuming I'm mortgage-free? Do I go straight into equity release or? Uh... 
So, so I, I think that's very much up to individual circumstances and what other assets people have. So, so it might be that people have other savings and, and ISAs or, or something like that, which can tide them over for, for a certain period of time. Uh, equity release is, you know, a significant use of equity release is is for essential expenditure, either to, to pay off uh, existing mortgages. Uh, so, so, so obviously lots of people had interest only mortgages in the 90s so, so they're carrying debt into retirement with no effect for repayment vehicles so they're using equity release to, to repay that but but equally some people are, are using it to fund day-to-day living which is which is your, your point there is that they, they could use that equity release to fund day-to-day living uh, expenses and retirement so, so it does come down to individual, you know, circumstances. What what assets people have, and it might be that some people need to work later in retirement. And I think what we're seeing more and more of that is that people are working beyond traditional retirement ages, uh, working, you know, well into the sixties. And I think that that will continue, partly due to to the lower pension savings people have, but but also due to things like COVID that that, that will uh, mean. But as I say, people people work later into retirement. Would equity release be more tax efficient for me than, say, you know, renting out a, a second home um, or sort of going into sort of weekend the weekend warriors of of buy to let people with one or two homes? Is it just is it just more tax efficient for me to to do that? So, so I guess the, the beauty of extra release is you are getting a tax-free lump sum as an individual. So, so from a tax point of view, there is uh, a, a substantial benefit there. What you obviously need to then compare is, is what cost you're paying for that. Uh, and, and that will very much depend on uh, are, are people rolling up the interest for the equity release, in which case there could be a substantial debt in later life, uh, or, or are they using a, a more flexible, are they using it almost as a... A, a more mainstream mortgage vehicle where they're reaping interest month to month out of their income. Uh, so, so, so there's lots of options and choices, but equally the tax position will, will vary depending on what, what choices people make. Yeah, because I certainly don't want to pay capital gains on uh, on my investments and I don't really want to be selling down uh, lots of good sort of long-term investment um, investment funds. Martin, can, can, I, can, I, can I bring you in here? What what are you seeing for people who are sort of like in their late 50s, early 60s, maybe considering on the cusp of retirement, on the cusp of taking their, their pension? What what are they doing? Are they selling their buy-to-let properties, buying buy-to-let, doing equity release, lifetime it, mortgages? It, it does uh, It does vary, Simony. I, I will agree uh, with what Andrew was saying. When you talk about the cusp of retirement, I don't think there is a cusp of retirement anymore now. Uh, part of that is uh, the expense of, of, of children and, and higher education. Um, so people have to carry on working to fund that. And then you've got uh, you've got middle class, middle aged squeeze going on, whereby you might have two children at university and two elderly parents um, that need care as well. So that 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 previous sort of 
dream demographic of you know late 50s early 60s is, is probably a bit more of a nightmare than a dream for many many people <laughs> so i'm not entirely convinced anyone is is planning on on buying a yacht and sailing around the world buy to let is still viable but you have to come at this very carefully now it's no longer the domain of the dinner party uh, uh comparing you know uh, farrell and ball paint it's it's much more complex now because because of taxation um uh, the market is active it is open the money's there it's incredibly cheap and maybe one and a half percent if you've got the right deposit um so it's very difficult not to get a, a return on that but then not many people want the responsibility of looking after somebody else uh, it's tiring looking after yourself the thought of actually providing accommodation as well that the novelty of that's worn off a little bit so what we might see is is a, a diminishing of the amateur uh, landlord and moving much more towards uh, a commercially minded professional landlord that actually now instead of having two or three might look to buy 10 or 15 and go through a limited company um, and again the market is very much open uh, there equity release uh, is is definitely uh, an area that we're seeing a, um, a lot of interest in and those products now are, are much more credible than, than five or ten years ago, very competitive, uh, degrees of flexibility. Uh, I think the industry itself has moved its, uh, itself forward quite a lot compared to where they were maybe sort of ten years ago. So there are definitely options. What I would suggest is, uh, I know I'm preaching to the converted here, is that the consumer needs to understand the importance of professional financial advice. It's it's not the domain of TikTok. Okay, mm. the problem is the problem with social media is that. So many experts out there, and information is so freely gained now, very, very quickly. Um, and some of the conversations we're talking about here are complex. They have tax tax issues, inheritance tax issues, capital gains tax. So people just need to take time and think very, very carefully about their options. So, Martin, if I'm an investor and uh, or if I'm if I'm looking to 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 retire, let, let's say that my kids have gone to university and I've managed to get them out of the house and they're actually earning, so I don't have to worry about them now. So I can actually think about retiring. I mean, like I think about retiring every day, but I'm only in my forties. Um, I shouldn't say that. This is being recorded, isn't it? So, uh, would it be sensible for someone to say, "Well, look, if I want to." invest in property maybe I take out property funds maybe I go to a managed portfolio service maybe I look at real estate investment trusts that would be my property investment and my house is just my house if I need to use it for long-term care provision later on in life then maybe I'll do equity release I mean do, do you think that perhaps we're just placing too much value on you know that the, the old adage uh, an Englishman's home is his castle do we just place too much value on that adage uh, yes, and the problem is there is now too much value in in the adage. That that's the problem we have. I think we've long past gone the stage where the housing market is too big to fail. Um, uh, I think collectively the country is on the verge of losing its mind. That's certainly what it feels like with regards to the mania about uh, just coming. You know, this time last year we were all going to die, uh, and now we're all we're all rushing around and loading up on debt and and moving out to Suffolk and the Cotswolds. Um, <laughs> I think what 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 the issue is that I think we're going to have here is that d demographics are moving faster than certain aspects of financial services. It feels a little bit at the moment that we're, we're way behind where the thinking is. And I think what we need to try and do as an industry, as a sector, is to maybe try and get a little bit further ahead about what the consumer 
really is thinking, what their expectations are, because at the coalface, it's all changing. The attitudes are changing massively, uh, whether that's whether that's the, the, the nine to five, Monday to Friday, uh, old world that we used to have, or the hybrid model of flexibility, or the fact that maybe the local high street will start to do much better than the inner cities, because maybe more money is going to go into the local economy. I'm currently uh, sitting in an office on the Strand. If I left here, I would have to walk 100 yards before I find a shop that wasn't boarded up. That's a very worrying trend that we're seeing in certain parts of big inner cities at the moment that previously were immune to most downturns. But this one feels slightly different because behind it is a demographic change, a cultural change. So we just need to understand what that is and try and get ahead of it. Yeah. So James, I'll bring you in here. I noticed that you were sort of nodding when Martin was talking about mania. How do you, as an investment manager, avoid that kind of mania? And what sort of hints and tips could you give investors to, to think about if you want to generate long-term capital return and a good income, how do you avoid mania? I'll go to you, James, and I'll come to, to, to Darius on that one again. Is that in terms of the in mania of any asset class or... Yeah, I'd say so. I'd, I'd say so. Because, you know, I mean, you're looking at the, the, the retail, the, the high street, obviously, you know, I know Darius was talking earlier about retail used to be a big sort of one of the big three sort of commercial property investments, you know, you'd want to invest in retail. But if the, the, the Debenhams is being boarded up and BHS has already been boarded up and we're seeing Topshop and Next, all, all these places starting to look quite um lugubrious, you know, just going through a high street and seeing all these boarded up shops. Obviously, retail is not sort of perhaps a place where you want to be invested as a you know in, in terms of property but just generally speaking you know like any investment mania um you know last year people might have looked at the stock market and thought oh my goodness i have to sell everything everything looks terrible but then actually the the FTSE rebounded really well so i mean how do you how do you sort of avoid making those kind of knee-jerk reactions to any investment um just based on kind of what you're seeing and what you're what you're what you're looking at in the news? I think I think one of the one of the things that's a major benefit um, for me and my colleagues that we have a, a strategy team whose job is to take that bigger picture view and look, and they, they don't have the same stress of clients on the phone phoning up or panicking or whatever or or even for managers panicking and you know, I think we find that massively useful. This time last year, or, or maybe maybe slightly earlier, you know, end of March, early April, because the the constant flow of news we got from them was was keeping us fully um, abreast of what was happening and their thoughts. And the, and the and the story was, you know, there's there's a lot of support here for the markets. Don't panic out. This, this is the wrong thing to do. And I think you know probably the reverse of what you're saying about mania. It would have been very easy to have sold out. In late March, because as Martin said, we, we were we were all going to die, you know, cashing your chips now and and, uh, and use them up as best you can. But actually, that was completely the wrong thing to have done. And most markets um, and asset classes actually made some decent returns last year. And I think the the on the mania side of things, it, again, it's it's being an expert, you know, looking at trends. If you if you are if I'm looking at property funds and you can feel that all, one area is getting completely overheated because everyone's piling into it, then that's when you do take a, a professional view and, and stand back and say, listen, I'm happy to you know sit out any potential gains that happen from here because I rationally 
can't have my client's money invested in this. But it sounds very easy, something like that, because but it is, it's it's not. But um, it's uh, I think for me, it's the resources I have around me which help me make informed decisions in that sort of area. Hmm. Absolutely, uh, Darius. Can I come to you and just talk about how your clients or your your um, your users have been sort of reacting, um, particularly to things like news that Aviva is closing? Have people been sort of panicking? Is is there a sense of oh my goodness, there goes my income stream? Well, as we know, particularly with Aviva and a, a number of other open-ended property funds, I haven't been able to panic because I haven't been able to sell. <laughs> yes. yeah. um, and for all the benefits of the, the liquid nature of, of, of the REIT market, and sometimes not being able to sell is a benefit. Um, it, it mightn't feel like it at the time. And I use the example of um, where the last time the open-ended property funds all shut after the 2016 referendum, uh, mm. pretty much all of them shut. And reopened at around the same price plus or minus one or two percent you could have sold your investment trust proper property investment trust at, throughout that period probably at a 30 to 40 percent discount so you know you pay your money you take your chances in some of these things just i think to add to james's previous point about the mania it does give the professional investor an opportunity and just again to touch on one subsector of property which is supermarkets now the one thing we know in february and march um during the, the highlight of the first wave of the pandemic the one sector you knew was cast iron fine was supermarkets you know though we remember the queues outside supermarkets like we do outside northern rock in 2008 hmm. and you knew the supermarkets were fine yet uh, like reaps linked to supermarkets also went to a decent discount now mm. what you know james and i'm sure myself well i know we did is we were buyers of that okay and that that mania of everything had to be sold and you know the investment trust market that it, it can be quite volatile so even boring assets like supermarkets traded like equities and in some instances worse than equities because they had gearing so instead um, of buying toilet roll i should have been buying reits at a discount well, look some of them went to 50 60 percent discounts you know, the, yeah, and we've touched on some of the retail issues and some of them are invested in retail and that discount reflected that negativity to that sector. But some of those REITs that were trading at 50 and 60 percent, you know, still fairly generic, boring commercial property REITs. You, just the discount narrowing has taken them back sort of around a 10 percent discount now. So mm. as... <laughs> You know, to, to to Martin's point earlier, you know, maybe the world didn't didn't end in in COVID, and so I think my summary on that is mania can give professional investors an opportunity set, and you know, we we certainly did, and have actually quite aggressively added to our property allocation in our own funds, where we've seen these big discounts um, open. And that's that's really important as well for income generation, because a lot of these REITs are providing really good income. And obviously, the structure of investment trusts has sort of helped them to be able to continue paying dividends. But they even can hold back that income, can't they? Because they can, they can hold it back, yeah. They can use revenue reserve. And some of the specialist um, sectors are yielding between 4 and 7%. And mm-hmm. in an interest-free world, you know, zero rates, and government bonds yielding you half if you're lucky – yeah. Corporate bonds yielding you one and a half, two if you're lucky. And people, yeah, for, for people in the deaccumulation phase of their pensions or whatever. So there is some attractive incomes in some of these 
REITs, but you know, sort of buyer beware, they can move to discounts and they can be quite volatile. No. Well, there you go. But again, it's it's proof that you need professional advice because property can be a really good income, but you just need to know exactly where you're uh, where you're investing. Um, Andrew, can I just um can I can I just finish finish with you? Um you've often talked to me about sort of tax efficient portfolio planning as as much an important part of preparing for a pension as the investment stage or choosing what sort of vehicles. How sort of can one approach their pension decumulation stage tax efficiently using all the resources available to them, using all their assets, perhaps without triggering huge income tax sort of uh, costs and charges, charges on them? I think the key to me in that situation is is not necessarily just to focus in on a pension. So so people are likely to have assets across a range of different wrappers. Uh, and the way that people can take income or take money out of those different wrappers in conjunction is is a way of making it tax efficient. So so many clients have uh, kind of got a mental picture that a certain pot is is for you know retirement and another pot might be for going on holiday and another pot might be for something but but the way advisors can help people is is to take them away from that thinking and say this is just a pot of money in various different places Uh, and the key is is to take that out in a very tax efficient way so so mixing and matching and taking uh, some assets out of ISAs and and some tax-free cash and uh, making some capital gains that are below the, the, the allowance and so on means that you can get a very significant amount of income without paying any tax at all. Uh, and that's that's where an, a good advisor can help people uh, take assets in a very, very tax-efficient way through retirement. And that might mean that the pension is largely untouched until later life, and that, and that can definitely be the most tax-efficient way to do things. And certainly if I'm accumulating income, maybe, you know, 4% to 7% on some of these uh, REITs, maybe I have got a, a buy-to-let, a professional buy-to-let portfolio, or maybe I've just got a house that's uh, doubled in value since I bought it. Um, it, it all seems to be uh, adding up. But um, thank you guys so much. I appreciate we could we could be talking about all these different issues for ages, and it's wonderful to have such a range of opinions and expertise on this podcast, but I'm afraid this is uh, all we've got time for. But James, Darius, Martin, Andrew, thank you so much for joining me today and for your pearls of wisdom. Property can be a pension, but you have to get professional advice and you have to use it wisely. Thank you very much, everyone. Thank you. Thank you, And thank you for listening. For more news, visit fdadvisor.com. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Selling a little or a lot? 
Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.